You're listening to the RE Social Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Vince from Onvi Invest. For more information, go to onvinvest.com. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of RE Social Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Christina Suter from uh, Pasadena. How are yep. you? Yep. Good. Glad to thank you for inviting me. That was wonderful seeing you at the uh, conference and then getting a LinkedIn saying, hey, let's do a podcast. I'm like, absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah, I know. I see you on LinkedIn all the time. And, and you know, people actually don't use LinkedIn a lot in terms of um, um, networking. You know, people, a lot of people use Instagram. How did you come about using LinkedIn? That's very smart. Uh, my, I run two real estate meetings a month. One is under the Phoebe Pasadena brand and one is under a brand called ITI, which Bronson and I and a gentleman named Steve all started together. And Bronson is an expert at LinkedIn. He is the one who's constantly posting, constantly tagging me. I'm like, ah, well, there's something happening there. And I'm not a social media expert. I have learned to embrace social media because it seems to be required in our field. If you want to inspire people to grow, if you want to expand their consciousness, if you want to really give them the opportunity to embrace their desire for financial leadership and freedom, financial freedom, it looks like social media is one of those vehicles that just you have to embrace it in order to be able to make a change. So I have, and Bronson showed me the way with LinkedIn as a role model, and I just kind of mimic what he does. And I have a social media crew that supports me in that. Hey, so for uh, Christina, a quick question is, you know, for listeners who actually don't know who you are and your background, can you give our listeners like a 90 second uh, intro of what you do? Sure. Just a bottom line. So I started when I was 17 in real estate. My mom gave me a house because she had poor health. She couldn't deal with the family home. So I've owned real estate for over 35 years. Started in residential, single family, then went to fourplexes. Well, actually, that's not true. Went to residential, single family, owned a couple of those, then bought an apartment building here in the Los Angeles area. I ended up owning about 50 doors to myself and 300 doors I shared with other people, making about 350 doors total in about 2006, 7, and 8. was the downturn was happening, I was newly married and trying to get pregnant and the stress was way horrible. So I sold every door that I had. Uh, I owned in, at the time I owned Hawaii and Oregon, California, Texas, Virginia, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so I built a lot of doors, sold them all, and went into hard money lending. And now I have a balanced portfolio between owning a few doors, having some stocks, investing in syndications, and doing hard money loans. So in 2007, did you sell at the downturn or did you get out before that? Oh, no. I sold during the downslide. Oh, I, wish really? I, had been, I wish I had been truly brilliant enough to sell in 2006 and seven. I was not. I was nailed by it. And it was a big lesson for me. That's how I became an economic hobbyist was because I learned that it didn't matter how smart I was. The market was going to do what the market's going to do. It rises and falls on the tide called the economy. And I am just one investor in among a very diverse amount of investors. So I honor now. I honor the economy. It is it is the thing that runs the show. Um, it got nothing to do with me. It's just doing what it does. So, 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 okay. So I wanted to uh, follow up on that. So I, I think I know, do you know who Rod Cleef is? Sure. 
course. Yeah, of course. So he has a very similar story. He talks about how he lost $50 million, right? So I wanted to follow up on that because as you know, you know, um, uh, since we live in California as well, people, there's a couple of kinds of investors. So the one is the cash flow model and the other is the appreciation model. So for the properties that you had, did, did it not cash flow for you to hold on to them? So I had a mixture. I was in the process of doing a condo conversion in California, a lot split in Hawaii, a value add rehab in Oregon. And then I had some doors, some cash flowing doors in Knoxville, Tennessee. I had an apartment building and some four and some fourplexes in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so those are the doors that I owned directly. And I just honestly, the stress and was too much. So I sold all the fan, all the projects that got stalled. Like my construction loan got pulled on my, uh, my project in Oregon. I was not able to get past yellow bills that were diving in value. And so I ended up in the end result. I just went, I can't keep any of it. I just, I just sold it all. Some of it I took, I mean, obviously I took losses. I had, I, I only had on, over, only over a million to about $2 million worth of losses in comparison to Rod Khalif, but it was enough that I went, I'm not even going to keep my doors I, that are performing because I don't want to have anything to do with any of it. I really want to bring it. I'm, I'm newly married. My husband and I are fighting and I want a baby and I'm almost 40. <laughs> I'm like, I need to get, I need to have a baby soon because my body's going to say no. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like, you know, uh, uh, a lot of stress, uh, and at one point, because, you know, I, I did, I did read that, you know, that if you're very stressed out, you know, your body doesn't do what you want it to do. It's kind of uh, interesting. A lot of people don't Yeah, it's hard to get it. pregnant when you're really stressed out. And <laughs> yeah. I had waited, you see, I had waited to be a mom until I could support my own child. Mm -hmm. So I, it was part of my life plan. Part of my purpose of my financial freedom was being a parent and mm -hmm. being able to be home to be that parent. Okay. But, uh, uh, well, you don't have to respond, but do you, do you have kids or? Absolutely. Oh, yes. nice. Well, yes, congratulations. Have, uh, thank you. Thank you. We used in vitro and I have one daughter and we mm -hmm. tried for more, but God wasn't, it wasn't in God's plans to give me more than one. Um, mm -hmm. because it, then none of the other eggs separated properly. I'm mm -hmm. grateful. I'm grateful. I got I, my daughter. I'm grateful the time I have for her. I'm grateful for me that I was able to fulfill what was a passion for me. I have two passions, children mm -hmm. and, and financial freedom. Yeah. Those are my two passions. You have, you have two babies. Sounds like. Yeah, it is. It's like two babies. It is. So let's, let's, I, I like to keep a timeline and then see how you, you know, how you navigated to like the tough times. So you, you sold most of it and you got out even, or did you lose some money and ended up losing? No, I told you I lost somewhere between a million to $2 million, at least a million. I know a million hard on uh -huh. the condo conversion that I was doing. I lost a million dollars on that one project alone. Oh, so those are not equity that you lost. You actually lost cash. Yeah. Those, oh, wow. Those are, that's my money. That's wow. my money going out the door, baby. Oh, that's, that's a tough one. So, okay. So, so talk to me about your mental state and how you were able to get out of it, because that's very... That's what uh, separates like entrepreneurs from people who give up, right? Because I would have, I might have given up $1 million. My investment partner gave up. So I had an investment partner at the time and, and he didn't have his, he wasn't starting with as much capital. He started investing later. So he and I were investing together, but I always had more capital and he doesn't invest anymore. And I used to belong to a real estate club at the time. And there, there was another gentleman. I remember him. He was diverse. And to me, he was a role model. 
right? And he was investing out of state and he was going to do ground up development on the Mississippi River. At least I think that's the right river. And he stopped. He gave up. So I was sitting in my chair. So I'm in my office. My husband and I have just had another fight. I'm a freaking loser in my mind. I've clearly effed up beyond compare and I am clearly an idiot. And I go, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I go, well, I could just give up. You know, other people walking away, I could just walk away. And then I went, but would I like myself when I'm 80 years old and I walked away from the career that I felt most drawn to in my life, would I still be happy? Or would I be one of those 80-year-old grumpy people that regretted what I did in my life and the decision I made? And I said, I can't leave it. I have to clean it up. It's going to be a freaking pain, but I have to clean it up. And so I did. So I sold everything. I just went, frick it. I just, I can't sort this. I just need to make the slate clean and start over. That's why I sold everything. Mm-hmm. I, I needed it to be simple. Yeah, that, that is interesting because if I'm thinking in retrospect, I don't know, you probably think the same way. It makes sense to sell off the condo conversions because they're all bleeding cash. But if you have to sell a property that you have to bring money to the table to close rather than keep it, you actually will cash flow. Why would you? Why did you sell those in the Knoxville ones, the fourplexes? Because they helped counterbalance the losses I was having on other properties. Oh, so so you did make some money there to kind of like even out something else? To help even out. Well, help make it easier. Okay. Um, that makes sense. And it was um, also it. Even the Knoxville properties were still an act of maintenancing some version of real estate, mm-hmm. right? Because what I switched over to was hard money loans. Now, if you've owned doors, you own doors, you own doors. So you know, there's a lot of maintenancing that goes on with those doors. But when you yeah. do hard money loans, once the money's out, you're counting every month the check, right? So I went from needing to pay attention to my portfolio, well, it was a downturn. I was paying attention to my portfolio all the time mm-hmm. during the downturn. But even before that, when it was a functioning portfolio, I was still paying attention to 10, 20 hours a week, maybe with that many doors and active projects going on mm-hmm. to tracking checks coming in. So my stress level went from, I don't, I'm creating something. I'm pushing really hard. I've got some, I've got my portfolio divided between my cash cows. That's what I called them my cash cow properties, because they were my cash flowing project properties and my risk, which was the flips and the stuff I was doing, right? Mm-hmm. I sold it all because then I wasn't tracking anything but at getting checks. I'm just going to get checks. Mm-hmm. Can my body calm? Can I get pregnant if I'm just collecting checks? Mm-hmm. Can my arguing with my husband stop if I'm just collecting checks? So that's, so that's what you pivoted to. Yeah, it, it is, you know, it's easy to look back and be like, oh yeah, we should have done that, done this. And, you know, it's just, it's just so hard to, in the moment, you know, like we, uh, so we, uh, Drew and I is my business partner and uh, we started buying in Bakersfield around 2018. So we're like five years in and the first property, everything went to crap. And, you know, we, we were like, we were, we had so many conversations, uh, basically like you and your husband, just like. Should we sell it? I think we should get rid of it and, you know, get out of the game. But, you know, the mortgage was like, I don't know, two grand or something stupid. So we were like, okay, we could pay this infinite t- like months. Like we don't care. It's only two grand, right? right? So we were able to eat it for almost six months and then cost a lot of money to rehab. Then once we turned it around, then we bought another one. And then uh, after the second property, we were able to figure out. But, you know, 
but my properties were only two grand at that point. Right. Now it's $47,000 a month to run the business. So I'm like, I can, you know, I can't, I can't do that if it, you know, if it goes like 2008 now. So <laughs> I, I hedge more on the cash flow just to break even at least. Oh yeah. No, I was going down a hundred thousand a month between loss of equity and cash out the door. I was going down a minimum of a hundred thousand a month. Yeah. That's, that's too stressful. I don't think I can handle it too. Wow, yeah, okay. and I, and I, had, I, I had savings. I did the rules. I followed the rules. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, like if, like if you're, you're in the position, like you're like, oh, I can relate. Let me tell you, I had cash. I had close to at least, I, I know it was 250,000 in one bank and another 200,000 or more in another bank. And I thought, I've got 2007. I'm like, I've got cash. I'll mm -hmm. be fine. It's just going to be 18 months or so. I've got enough reserves. I listened, mm -hmm. right? I studied. I, I listened to the people who's like, oh, yeah, as long as you've got cash, you can make it through any downturn. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't. I didn't because it was 2008, 2009, 2010. We didn't start recovering and going back up till 2012. So, so let me ask you this. I know we've been like uh, hitting you hard on the <laughs> what you should have done, and uh, but I want to ask no, you help yourself. I, nobody's asked me this many questions about it. I love it. Ask yeah. away if it's useful to people and it helps them understand what to do. Please mm -hmm. let's educate. Yeah, so that's what I want to get into. Yes, everything went to crap. So if you got the opportunity, like we are the Christina Sudo from today. And if you travel back in time, what could have you done, or or maybe you couldn't have done anything. You that is done. Okay, here's what I learned. Okay. You're asking me, what did I walk away with, right? Mm -hmm. Now that I can look back at it over a decade later, because it's 20, 2023, mm -hmm. and we're talking 2009, 10, 11. That window was when I was taking all my losses, mm -hmm. right? What I learned? I learned to not showboat. What is, oh, showboat is just like, I have so many doors or something? I'm so fancy. Uh -huh. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get caught. Oh, sure. I know that there's a downtrend coming. Who cares? I'm doing in the middle of a condo conversion. Sure. I should just keep that going. We'll get it done uh -huh. before the downturn hits because uh -huh. I'm so smart. I'm yeah, so smart. Yeah. Aren't I so yeah. smart? I'm going to outtime the market. I'm not going to outtime the market. Every time I have lost money, which has been more than once, it's just the 2000. Eight, you know, 2008 to 2011 was the big, like, oh my gosh, right? Mm -hmm. Every time I look back, I look back over my investment career. What have I learned? What can I learn? How can I help myself be better? How can I be a better investor? How can I be wiser, more grounded, right? More on target, stay in my lane. It's every time I've tried to be fancy. Every time I, Christina, have gone, I am so special. It's not the project unto itself. It's the attitude that I invoke. Mm -hmm. I'm so special. I can flip $3 million houses because I'm so cool. Mm -hmm. I can do a condo conversion I've never done before because I've got so much cash. I'm, I'm, I'm bulletproof. Well, I'm not bulletproof. I'm not. I'm at the mercy of a much larger market, not just Los Angeles, but the United States. And it's, it, this the doing what I do well and making sure it's the patches are like all the all the parameters are right keeps me from my own egotism. Mm -hmm. 
So if you went back in time, you would not do those condo conversions because you you had some doubts that the market was going down. You still, yeah, but you would have still probably hold on or bought the Knoxville ones because they were risk free or exactly risk. Knoxville ones. I don't regret Knoxville yeah, yeah. easy peasies. Those were great because they were my cash cows. That made sense. It was when I was doing the the condo tells the lot split the condo conversion. And of and the flips flip up in Oregon. And when I had so many projects, more than 50% of my portfolio was given over to high risk. Mm-hmm. And I was showboating in the process. Oh, sure, I can own condo tells. I'm so cool. Mm-hmm. Right? Condo tells never go down, do they? <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah I'm they do. yeah, even in, you know, I, I live like very close. I live in the Costa Mesa. So, you know, um pretty much basically all my properties are here too in uh in California. So, you know, it's very difficult to cash flow, but um, I got in when the interest rates were low uh, and, you know, I was able to buy up stuff, but now, you know, interest is high. So I, I'm pivoting to more furnished midterm rentals. Mm-hmm. So the cash flow is high enough that even if it's a downturn market cash is by 50%, as long as I have, you know, nurses and people coming in, I can still afford to hold on to them. So let me uh, jump back. I know I'm jumping back and forth. So you would have not done the, you know, showboarding stuff and you wouldn't have got the condo. Now the market, you know, it's, you know, the, the famous well, last had, words. Had, to be accurate, I had three condo tells. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I did one. I okay. did three. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Right. So it ended up opening me up to when they went from $240,000, which was the most expensive one I own, and it dropped to $14,000. What? That doesn't make sense. Well, it was Hawaii. Uh-huh. And it was 2009, 10, and 11, and nobody wanted to buy in. So at the lowest point was 14,000. That isn't when I sold it. I just, I tracked it after I sold them. It was still 14, but it went all the way down to $14,000. Now, if I hadn't been so scared, Mm -hmm. then I would be doing, I would have bought more at Mm $14,000. I would have bought more. Yeah, it's probably renting for 14,000 a year easily, right? 100% 100% right. cash on cash. 100% cash on cash. So it was it was that I had stretched myself out so far that I wasn't able to do what I thought was the right thing, mm-hmm. which I'm trying to do in this cycle, which is to be prepared. What am I spending this time? I'm spending this time not buying things, thinking I'm going to be able to get past the market and the timing of the market. I'm going, ah, yes. Oh, the great market. Oh, yes. Okay, we're going to go down. Okay, so I'm collecting cash and I'm waiting and I'm looking at and making sure all my properties are stable, which they are. They're small little properties. I've got hard money loans, syndications, stocks, which I'm which I'm actively and aggressively trimming stocks. Right. And a few doors. And I'm looking to be able to go, Okay, when am I going to buy in? Because I want more doors. I like my doors. Now I like doors. I like I do midterm. Um, I do midterm rentals in Indianapolis and I like them a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I've owned, you know, 250, I was partners on 250 doors and I had 30 doors and 18 and 12. And so I've owned smaller units and I've owned larger units. And so I've had long-term renters, but they're no longer my favorite. That C-class yeah. workforce housing is no longer my favorite. Yeah. I started there too in Bakersfield and uh, they're not my favorite as well. So I'm moving on to B and A. Uh, stuff, but let's uh, getting back to you. So you have, um, okay. So if you if you did the same thing now in today's market, because you know people are interested in you know June, July, August of twenty twenty three. So you would, what would you recommend people should they not buy because the market is sliding down a little bit, or should they just not buy 
speculative flips and you can still buy strong assets with cash flow. Strong. I've already started looking in Indianapolis so that I have my groundwork available mm-hmm. to me. Um, the Fed said, right? Remember I said, I know honor the great economy, right? Mm-hmm. So the Fed said that they were going to stop increasing rates or at least pause mm-hmm. right, in May. Now they've just flown across like three or four days ago on Thursday. They said, ah, you know what? We're not slowing down as much as we thought. We're going to probably increase in July and September. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing a math game. I've looked at the charts. I've looked at the history of the Fed increasing rates. Kathy Fedke is the one who got me tied into that. Mm-hmm. Right. Every time the Fed increases interest rates, 11 out of the past 13 times the Fed has increased interest rates, we have headed into a recession. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the yield curve. It's kind of a given. Yeah. What I've done is I've looked at the height of each one of those rate increases and how long before the real estate market, the national real estate market, showed its bottom. Mm-hmm. And that was 12 to 18 months after the height of the rate. Mm-hmm. Just lay two graphs over each other. Not fancy. Anybody can do it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm smart. I am smart. I'm not saying I'm not, but I'm not like a fancy economist. Yeah. Right. So you lay them over each other. And what you get is that the last two times the Fed has held the rate for about six months and then lowered it versus in the 80s where they ping ponged it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's anywhere from 12 months to 18 months after the end of the hype that we see the low point in real estate. So I'm calculating, okay, so if they're not done and now they're increasing in July and September, I've now moved my investment timeline out another 12 months. So yeah, that's, yeah, I, I'm sure you you got a hold of Jason Wong at Limitless too. I was, yes. I was, I was bugging him. Yeah, so he was saying the same yeah, thing. You yeah. know, great presentation too. Uh, so for people who don't know, he used to be the guy who was printing trillions of dollars and buying <laughs> bonds for the Fed. But uh, interesting enough, he did mention, like you said, there is op- opportunity or possibility that they will do a two more hikes, which will be a quarter point each. So, you know, you could add a 12 month uh, on top of September, you know, if you wanted. Now, exactly. uh, shout out to Kathy Fecky too. Uh, she's the yeah. OG. That's, that's how I learned all this stuff. And I started creating assets last year on the height of the market. So I, otherwise I wouldn't have known. But so for people who are listening, um, now, are you suggesting that, because I am still buying, I'm buying in more red states now. I'm buying in Tennessee. I'm closing on one in, on Friday, but I still want to buy. And I am now hedging the next two years. The rates are going to go down. Uh, so I am like, you know, I'm getting paid to do loans now. I'm getting, I'm, uh, I'm getting credit instead of buying down the points because I feel like the rates will come down because they can't keep this up. So if there's a recession, the, the, the rates always follow inflation and recession. So they're going to go down. So yes. Um, and I, there's like a two year payout, uh, for the, you know, the points and all those things. So, so are you seeing people to wait 12 months or, or do you, do you, should we keep looking? Have you thought about investing in real estate and taking advantage of all of those benefits without any of the work? That is something that on the invest not only provides, but has been providing since its inception with friends and family, we have built an empire in a system of a wealth generating tool that is giving us and our friends and family that leverage in their life to create true wealth. Go to onvinvest.com for more to see if you qualify. And thanks for listening. So, so are you seeing people to wait 12 months or, or do you, should we keep looking? If it's financially strong and it hits your target. So I've already started looking in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I've already identified I want to buy in at 100, and, 100 to 130 a door. 
Mm-hmm. Right, is what I want to buy in at for the two bedroom, one bath. I'm going to mm-hmm. pay more for the four bedrooms, two baths because I'm doing the short term rentals, right? Yeah, nice. So, so I have my bracket. And so this is what I need to have it cash flow at a number I'm happy with at the end of the day. And as soon as Indianapolis hits that number, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to buy in because I don't care. Like, just like you said, I don't care about the interest rate. What I care about is the buy-in number and my capacity to hit cash flow because my cash flow will only get better when I can refinance in three years mm-hmm. because the Fed has to lower rates. They have to, they have to increase rates to create the recession. And then in order to counterbalance the recession, they will lower rates. How low? I don't know, but they will lower rates. That is the way it has gone for 11 cycles, all 11 cycles. Yeah. So if you look at that, that seems pretty straightforward. Like I can kind of count on them to do that again. The mm-hmm. rates go up, you can count on them going down. And what kind of uh, neighborhoods are you looking at in Indiana? Uh, uh, Indiana, because you're looking at way below median uh, house prices, which is means you're very, very recession proofed. Because so how much lower is it going to go? It's not going to go to 14,000. There's no chance. Yeah, no, that's only the condo tells. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> if I hadn't been so afraid, I swear I would have bought five more. I really, yeah. really, but I was terrified. So I didn't buy, I didn't buy. I had scared myself. So um, no, I'm looking, I'm looking in Bates Hendricks and around Bates Hendricks, but I'm staying north of Beecher Street. So I'm not getting down into Garfield Park area because I don't like that area. So I want to stay north. So I'm staying, I'm not in, I'm not in the upper part. I'm not by the Indianapolis 500. Those are much more expensive. Those are 250 to 350 a square foot. But Bates Hendricks is still regentrifying, kind of like in my mind, I think it was being a little like Venice Beach. Mm-hmm. So it's regentrifying. And I'm seeing that list just there two weeks ago. And I'm counting, we've got three to four units out of every 10 that have been rehabbed. Okay. And then you, how much can you rent these guys out for like the 120 per door or 150 per door? Um, it's anywhere from 70 to 90 a night. Okay. And my vacancy rate, I have the numbers. My vacancy rate was, um, my occupancy rate was 76%. So let's just say 20 uh, days occupied, $1,400, maybe $1,500 a month. Um, yeah, okay. And I'm trying to buy it in at about 150, 150 to 200. I mean, you could, you could, uh, uh, buy it with cash and just take a 7% guaranteed return on your money straight up. I can, and I, I can, I'm capable of that. And that's, yeah. that's, and I might buy in at that, but at the same time, I can buy more doors if I leverage it, yeah, if I leverage sure. it conservatively. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the multi-unit market, it used to be you had to put 35% down. So in this in single family purchases, I'm like, why not put 35% down if I want? Yeah. Right. It's about leveraging it so that it's I'm not it's about leveraging it so I get returned, but I'm sleeping well at night and I'm taking care of my now 13-year-old daughter mm. um peacefully. Yeah, that's really, that's really cool for all the nerds who are listening. Uh, you know, once you start putting more and more money down in residentials, all the loan level price adjustments or LLPA, those goes away. So I usually stick around like the one I'm buying. Mm-hmm. If it's a uh, single family, 20, 25% takes care of it. And if it's double duplex or fourplex, 30%, 35% will take care of all of the hits. So it actually becomes like almost like an owner occupied loan. It's very, it's, there's not a lot of difference. So. And it, the way, again, 2006, what I used to, I started my club in 2011. And one of the first things I talked about was a badly financed building because mm-hmm. that's where I was in 2009 yeah. and 10 and 11 was a badly financed building, badly, badly leveraged. Mm-hmm. And one of the 
surest ways to help avoid being having a badly leveraged building is to put 20% to 30% down. Even in LA, if you put 50% down in LA, you'll find that you can get a building to be neutral until you can force a 5% cap. I work, I'm a real estate investment advisor. So I work with people who are currently purchasing across multiple different states inside of California. That's the advantage of being this investment advisor is that I get to see a variety of different markets. And what my people who are purchasing in LA that I'm working with are putting 50% down so they can get a cash flow neutral, slightly cash flow positive to then rehab it to then get to a five, a true five cap. And then mm-hmm. they can re-leverage the building if they want to. So it's a board, it's a version of doing their rehab, but they're doing it on their own money. They're not doing it as a syndication. And now I take assets under management. So there's going to be, I'm going to continue to work with even more of these families. So do you, I mean, uh, you know, like I've been in California for almost 12 years now and I see how the governments and stuff are doing. So do you recommend people to still invest in California if you know the game? No, I don't (laughs) invest in California anymore. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I don't have clients that invest in California. Mm -hmm. So yes, I've seen clients, but they, again, Cash flow investors, you asked this question early. There are two different horses. There are cash flow and there's appreciation. Mm-hmm. I'm older. I've had my backside handed to me more than once. Mm-hmm. I'm leaning towards cash flow. It's steady, it's solid, it'll pay my daughter's school, it'll pay for her college, it, you know, it'll do what it's supposed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would I played appreciation for a lot of years. So I'm working with people who are willing to take the negative cash flow. Not a lot. I really, really, really encourage them to never go negative, to be at least neutral. Even in a negative market, don't go negative. Put enough cash down that you're neutral. So then you can keep the appreciation and force it into a cash flow position, which would be ideal, wouldn't it? Like that's what you want. If you're going to play appreciation, that's what you would like to have. That to me is like the golden ticket. Yeah, I say cash flow is a very defensive strategy, but without it, you're going to get punched in the face for sure. But you're never going to be rich. You know, you're never going to win a boxing match by just defending the whole time, right? You're not like, so, you know, I started in Bakersfield and, you know, we sold most, I mean, I have only a couple of properties left, but we cashed out at least, I would say a million dollars in, in profits, in like just cash. But that's, uh, and I, I would say I made $0 in cash flow for five years. But you th- are you telling me that in, you know, Kansas, Wichita, Kansas, you, you're going to get a million dollars in cash flow in five years? Zero percent chance. No chance. I owned in Knoxville. Yeah. I owned in California. So mm-hmm. I've owned, like you, I've owned in both markets. Yeah. Right? The problem with the with the Knoxville market and the small units there is that you get one air conditioner blowing out on you and you lose three to five months worth of, in, quote, net income. Yeah. California, because the rents are higher, the payments higher, the cost is higher, but the dollar number is higher. That same air conditioning unit here is only going to be two months. Yeah. Right. So there's no, I agree with you that that's very interesting. I tried to be so diversified before I had doors and Mm -hmm. I had risky projects in order to do what you're talking about. That's why I went back to what's my lesson. My lesson wasn't that I was so much badly diversified that is cash flow versus risk, I should have no risk. No, it's that my risk should have been smaller and my ego should have been out of the way. Yeah. It's, it's so important, you know, like it's, it's, you know, that's why, you know, like what you mentioned about ego and all those things, you know, I used to think I'm so smart because I'm an engineer, I got masters, all this garbage. 
you know, and then I, I figured out I'm a, I'm an idiot after I listened to Robert Kiyosaki, right? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a moron. So I did the same thing with real estate too. I thought I was super smart. I, I did all these cap rates and all these GRMs, all this garbage. Then I, I forgot the people aspect of it and nobody paid rent. And I'm like, wait, none of this makes sense if income doesn't come in, right? So because I listened to you, uh, you know, on the market, Kathy Fedke, you know, you probably know Jason Hartman too, right? I was just hanging out with him um, at his event. But, um, you know, because I listened to you guys, I, I was able to understand I am not doing, I'm not going to be doing well because people are not paying and doing all these things. I need to get out of Bakersfield. So I started cashing them out and I made a lot of money in equity. But if I held on to it, it's going to, I would be in a trickier position today because, you know, people are not paying rents. I'm just saying, oh yeah, equity is there, equity is there. Yeah, I could probably still sell it now and still get out. However, if I keep continuating at some point, I'll do the same mistake you did in 2008. So I sold everything, you know, because uh, I wanted to cash in the equity. So it's very interesting how uh, these things work and why it's so important to go to your Phoebe Pasadena meetups, listen to your podcast, get your coaching. Uh, you know, you have to leverage other people to download the knowledge you have. Like, there's no way I'm going to know what you know, unless, you know, I spend time with you, right? I have a real estate investment advisor that I work with for myself to get mm -hmm. a second head inside of my portfolio. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Like just yeah. getting ahead inside yeah. your portfolio. I mean, it's just yeah. it's so funny because I look at other people's portfolios and it makes sense. Here's mm -hmm. this, here's that, here's the math, here, right? Here's the math. We know mm -hmm. the math. Here's how you work it out. Yeah. But then my clients are like, but I'm not so sure. And now when I look at my portfolio, I'm like, but I'm not so sure. Yeah. You always need someone like uh, 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 who's ahead of you. You know, my dad always said, you know, the, the day you think that, you know, everything, that's when you're going to screw up because, you know. I have to agree with him. Real life experience says, yes, he's right. Your yeah. dad's right. <laughs> that's smart. Yeah. Um, now, I wanted to go back, you know, I, we only have like a couple a few 15 minutes left, but yeah. I wanted to ask you. So, um, you know, people are listening to this. They're going to be like, OK, bro, cool story. Uh, Christina, she looks like she's rich. She can take the hit for a million dollars. Yeah, of course she did. And then she bought 10 million dollars more. So what do you tell? Like she's got trust fund money coming in every month, $50,000. Like, you know, so what do you tell to those guys? Like, how did you get out of that hole? I, I, I have to confess, my mom passed away and she left me some money. Ah, oh, that's it. That's it, guys. If your mom doesn't have money, it's over for you. That must be it. It's over for you. No, my mom got me started, right? Remember the beginning yeah. of my story is my mom got me started, mm -hmm. right? And then I went through this whole trajectory where I lost, you know, 2009, 10, 11, where I lost all this capital. I pulled together everything I could. I doubled down on my consulting work so that my income was no longer primarily from my real estate. It was from my consulting work for about three years. Right. I started to redevelop my cash flow from what I had, but the big, but the, that, that chunk alone didn't grow by itself. Cause when my mom died in 2014, I got more money. So mm -hmm. now I was like, okay, now let's redeploy. Mm -hmm. Now let's take everything I managed to save, everything I had conservatively working, all the, all the payments I had coming in. Now I got another chunk. Let's take this whole thing and redevelop a portfolio underneath me. Mm, that's that's smart. And then you went to a little bit more cash flow based and less speculative. Yeah. Well, actually, yes, yes. And I diversified into remember, I now was doing previously, I had no hard money loans. Mm -hmm. I was either active is all residential. I either owned doors, which were rentals, or I was actively flipping a door of some kind. Mm -hmm. right? Now it's syndications in cannabis and mobile home parks and storage units and 
uh, hard money loans out to flippers. I've got one to a flipper right now that I work with. And I just did that one a month ago. I've got, you know, seller financing on a flip I did. I've got hard money loans out to another flipper over in the Florida area. So I've got hard money loans out there. And I've got, so I've got, oh uh, yeah. So I've got direct doors, hard money loans, syndications, and I've got stocks. Wow, stocks yeah. That's, that's so right cool. Right now I'm diversified across more assets, more different styles of investment assets. Yeah, that's really good. So, you know, um, one more topic I wanted to ask your opinion. And, you know, this is this was very interesting for me as well. You know, growing up, I, I'm from India and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We weren't poor, you know, we, we have money, but it's not like we don't have millions of dollars. Right. So, you know, it's it's uh, I was always under the like the scarcity mindset. So, you know, what when I started doing real estate, I would always, you know, be like, oh, do you want to invest with me? And then they'd be like, no, you're a loser. And then I'm like, oh, no, I'm asking them for money. And then as I grew in the business, uh, you know, I started developing a more abundance mindset. And it's just so crazy how when you change your mindset and I don't even, you know, talk to people who, you know, it's it's so different. So can you talk a little bit about scarcity versus abandon, abundance mindset when you don't have a lot of money? Oh, I, I'm so glad we got back to mindset because mindset is 50 percent. Right. To me, yeah. my mindset is just as important as my capacity to do my math. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it it makes all the difference. So. Um, I, I had a, I had kind of a tough childhood. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. My okay. mom was a single mom raising three kids. I was part of my life. I was raised in hand-me-down clothes for my sister. And I was a special ed kid. I was in Lily in the loser class on the little yellow bus, all the teasing of the dyslexic ADHD kid. Mm-hmm. And so in my twenties, I was suicidal. Wow. So just straight up in my twenties, mm-hmm. I was suicidal. And I, I got out of that through a lot of personal growth work, <laughs> like a lot, a lot of years of therapy, probably at least 20 years. What I discovered in that 20 years was that scarcity and abundance and embarrassment and self-doubt are all part of our judging mind. And, and reality isn't what our judging mind says. Like I used to say to my therapist, can I just put away the psychic bat? Like I would just beat myself up with this psychic bat. I'm a loser. I'm stupid. I'm look at me. I never got out of school right. Well, I, I do have a bachelor's. Oh, and I do happen to have a master's, but I'm still really stupid, aren't I? Well, no, I'm actually not really stupid. Right. So it's a psychic bat that actually lies to us, lies to me, or lied to me. Maybe it doesn't lie to other people, but it was definitely lying to me about who I was. Right. So being able to get with just the reality in front of you. I am not a loser. I have a perfectly fine boyfriend. I run my life just fine. My loserhood is in my judgment. It's that I judged myself so much. I would destroy my own life. I would destroy my own stability underneath me. I'd fight with my boyfriend. I'd get into car accidents. I'd yell and scream. That's what was destroying my life. It was never who I actually was, who I am is actually very generous and funny and grounded and stupid and playful and all kinds of things, right? That's what I am when I'm able to observe the truth of this world. And the truth of this world is it's completely abundant. You get everything you need all the freaking time. You get all the good, you get all the hard, all you need all the time. What do you want to claim? What do you want to bring to you? That is what is the grounding of your success. 
Then money shows up. Then good partnerships show up. Then good buildings show up. Then trust shows up. Trust between you and your community shows up. Trust between you and yourself shows up. That's the basis of abundance in my mind. And you, you, were, you, you were able to flip that from your 20s to this by, you know, constantly working on yourself, right? Yeah. Did, did you have a strong why? How did you do that? Uh, my first why was I wanted to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. Let's just start with that. Yeah. That's and then cool. my next why was I wanted to be able to be a good mom. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wouldn't be a good mom in my 20s. Not with all the drama and the upset writing yeah. and the car accidents. I was not going to be a good mom. Yeah. The part of my why was being a mom. So you Mm -hmm. asked me why I sold everything in 2011, Mm -hmm. 29, 10, and 11. And my stress level was I finally had the opportunity to be a mom. I didn't want to frick that up. Yeah. That's it. That's so cool. I mean, yeah, your story is so cool and inspirational. And I wish a lot of people would share, you know, um, Stories like that, they just like to show their Lambos and, you know, the the, the fun things. Yeah. But I, I mean, there are a lot of good people in the space for us, like Brandon, Kathy and all those guys, you know? Yeah. Nice. Um, Brandon and Kathy are wonderful. OJ is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a new one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I may have said his name wrong, but there are more, Bad Khalif, there are more and more of us that are finally. I think AJ, right? AJ Osborne? AJ Osborne. Yeah. That's it. Story AJ guy. Osborne. I just met him and his wife. Oh my God, I love them. Yeah, they're cool. They're really, there are people out there now in our field. When I started 30 years ago, this wasn't so much the case, but now it's like, I'm like, Kathy, we need to tell people our stories. Mm-hmm. We need to tell people the truth. They need to know that this is about the capacity to ground oneself in one's being so you can run this marathon, mm-hmm. not, not hating yourself, not thinking it's always going to go up, not thinking it's always going to go down. It breathes in and it breathes out. We don't get mad when we breathe in and breathe out. Why are we mad when the economy breathes in and breathes out? Yeah. Right. So let's let's get into the truth of it's about who you choose to be and how you choose to be and the changes on this planet you choose to help steward forward that are the most satisfying. And by the way, the vehicle we're using is called real estate. Mm-hmm. And Kathy's doing that. I'm doing that. Rod Khalif is doing that. Brandon's doing that. Ken McElroy is doing that. There's a whole series of us that are clearly doing that. The real estate guys are doing that. They, not everybody's declaring it. Mm-hmm. But if you hang out at their events, you know they're doing it. I love the real estate guys. I met them too at the dance floor. You, we missed you at the dance floor. I, I stole Kathy for like a swing dance. Oh, you swing dance? Oh, yeah. What kind? What kind? Uh, I do East Coast swing, Lindy Hop. I, I do East Coast and West Coast. I did years and years of West Coast, mm-hmm. but I remember my East Coast. I can East Coast anytime, baby. Oh man, we should do it. I, there's a whole video on my Instagram with just me and Kathy dancing for like three, the whole time. Yeah. She said she didn't know. And she was like, really good. I'm like, well, you're scamming the people. She's athletic. Yeah. She's very, she's a very good follow. Yeah. Hey, Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we will make sure to tag you and stuff, but uh, you. do you have a, what, what, how can people get in touch with you? Do you have meetups? What's going on? So I have two meetups a month. There's an FIBI Pasadena, which you can find on Instagram and Facebook and on meetup.com. There's ITI, Investor to Investor, the sister club to Phoebe Pasadena. You can find those on the same platforms. Um, You can find me at christinasuter.com. There's also the real Christina, which is a lot of my Instagram and Twitter platforms are the real Christine, our real Christina Suter. Um, And 
you know, I now have assets under management, so I'm opening a small family office to be able to use my experience to help other families grow their net worth and help them fulfill their sense of purpose. So you can find me in a lot of different places, or you can just call me, 310-463-5942, 310-463-5942. That is my cell phone. Text me if you want to talk to me. I'm happy to set up a time for a phone call for just about anybody. Wow, Anything having to do with kids and real estate. I'll do either one of those two topics. Kids or real estate, you said? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. Thank you, Christina. That was, that was a really good show. I don't know about you, but I definitely like to see five-star reviews on any service or any product before I purchase. Please take a second to leave us a five-star review, whether you're listening to it on Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, or whatever platform. Take a second. It goes a long way. Helps us a lot to grow the channel. And thanks for listening.